0: Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Burgess Hill. This message is by Colin Urquhart. Well, this is the third week running when uh, I've had the privilege of speaking to you. Makes up for all the months of silence, doesn't it? This is the third part of this revelation that God has been giving us of all the wonderful blessings that he poured into our lives the first minute that we were saved, the first minute that we became his children and belong to him now and for all eternity. Let me just review very quickly what we've spoken about during the last two weeks for the benefit of any who were not able to be with us then and just to remind all of us of this revelation of truth in which we're now living. We've seen that God did an amazing thing for us the moment we were saved, the moment that we asked him to forgive our sins and yielded our lives to him. He forgave us so completely that he made us blameless, innocent in his sight. It's as if We had never sinned, we had never grieved him. So complete is his forgiveness. Yes, he forgives and forgets. He doesn't hold on to anything that he has forgiven us for. There won't be any mention of those things on the Day of Judgment because they've passed away forever. And then uh, we saw that He has made us righteous, totally acceptable in God's sight, that He has actually sanctified us, He's made us holy even as He is holy. We saw that according to God's Word, He even made us perfect forever. And we saw that because we agreed that there could be nothing imperfect about Jesus, nothing imperfect about heaven or the kingdom of God. And we looked at this scripture from Ephesians chapter 1. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. Having believed, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, who is to come until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. What an amazing, amazing truth that God put us into Christ, in whom there is only perfection, and because we're in Christ, he put Christ into us. But we saw also that although this is the truth about us in the Spirit, in our natural soul life, we do not yet reflect that perfection, sadly. But that's true of all of us, that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and restore us to that place of being blameless, righteous, holy, made perfect, in his sight, but what God wants is for our natural soul life to be submitted to the Spirit so that we are being transformed into his likeness. And so we saw in this scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, make you holy through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. This is what God is wanting to work out in the life of every one of us as believers, every single one of us, He is wanting to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. He wants to see this process taking place increasingly. And we began to see last week something of what that meant, that actually when we give our lives to Jesus, he clothes us with himself. We're clothed with Christ. And Paul talks about clothing yourself. Just look at this scripture from Romans 13. Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Clothe yourself. And I talked last week about just as we get dressed naturally before we go out for the day, so we need to get dressed spiritually to put on Christ, to put on all that he is, to put on his nature, everything about him, God has actually communicated to us by his Spirit. So now we're going to talk this week about how all this is to be worked out in our lives in a very practical way. Now, one of the things that we've mentioned during the course of these last two weeks is that God has given us his kingdom. Now, he says in in Luke chapter 12, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. The kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, is a gift, a gift that God gives to us. And he talks about, in Luke 17, that the kingdom of God is not a place. You can't say it's over here or over there. The kingdom of God is among you or within you. The Greek can be translated in either way. But because God has given us the kingdom, that kingdom is within us. So, what God desires is for us to live the life of the kingdom of God, or to live the life of the kingdom of heaven, here on earth. And I mentioned just last time that so many Christians think of living their earthly life and then going to heaven. Whereas you remember, Jesus taught us to pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, God's purpose is for us to live the heavenly life here on earth. Yes, we are not going to do that perfectly in the way that we will know the perfection of heaven in the future, but even within the limitations of our humanity, of our human flesh, we are to live the life of God's kingdom. Now, what we see in the ministry of Jesus when he was here on earth is that he actually lived the heavenly life on earth. And he showed us how the life of heaven is so much greater, is so much more powerful than just natural existence. We saw how Jesus imparted peace, that supernatural peace to his disciples, how he stilled the storm simply by saying, Peace, be still how he could overcome the natural because he came with the life and the dynamic and the power of God's heavenly kingdom. Now, what is the essence of this kingdom life, of this heavenly life, that God wants you and me to live? Well, just think for a moment. God has given to you what you could never earn, what you could never deserve. In other words, he has given you all the blessings of his grace. Now think about this for a moment. He gave you forgiveness. That's an act of his mercy, and his mercy is one aspect of his love. He made you blameless, innocent in His sight. He didn't judge you. He didn't condemn you, even though He is the judge of all the earth. No. He forgave you. He accepted you. He actually gave you the gift of righteousness. You didn't have to earn righteousness. You didn't have to live in such a way that you could be made righteous by your own efforts. God gave you the gift of righteousness. What love he must have for you to make you totally acceptable in your sight because he'd washed away everything that was unacceptable. He gave you the gift of his holiness, He put His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God Himself. God Himself came to live in you. What love He must have for you. We read in the Scripture that, in Ephesians 1 verse 3, that. God has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, in heavenly places. All the blessings of that heavenly life, he has already imparted, he has already given to you. What love he must have for you! How could the perfect one make you perfect forever in his sight? Unless he loved you. How could God give you the gift of his kingdom, of heaven itself, unless he loved you with a divine love, with eternal love, love that is greater? than any human love could ever be. And when he gave you the Holy Spirit, he put that love into your heart. What love God must have for you. Have you got the point? that there is not a person on the whole of this earth that God loves more than you. It's in that love that he's given the same blamelessness, the same righteousness, the same holiness, the same perfection, the same spirit, the same kingdom to every one of his beloved children. You must be top of the list when it comes to God deciding to whom He's going to give His best gifts. God has blessed Caroline and I with three children. When we had our our first child, Claire, our daughter, We felt such love for her, as I'm sure many of you have when you have had your children. We loved that little girl with all our hearts. And of course, when we wrote Christmas cards, birthday cards and so on, we would say that we love her with all our hearts. Then we had a second child, Clive. And we loved him with all our hearts. We didn't divide our love into two and say, well, we love Claire with half and Clive with half. No, we love Claire with all our hearts and Clive with all our hearts. Then we had another daughter, Andrea, and we loved her with all our hearts. All my love we would put in our cards. All my love, mum and Dad. You see, we loved all three of our children with all our love. God, who is infinitely greater than any of us, loves all his children, even though there are so many of them. But he loves all of them with all his love. He doesn't love you with just a little portion of his love. He showed how much He loves you with all His love by sending His Son to die for you, to make it possible for you to become His child, to make it possible for you to belong to His kingdom, to make it possible for you to be blameless and righteous and holy and perfect in His sight, to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, to give you the gift of His kingdom. All that demonstrates that He loves you with all his love, with all his heart. And when he gave his people his command, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, he was simply asking them to reflect the love that he has for them. That if we can speak of God in this way, he loves each one of us with all his heart. And that love, as we've already seen in these last couple of weeks, that love is expressed in giving. It's expressed in the way He gives mercy in forgiving us, accepting us. That love is expressed in His grace, in the fact that He gives us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, that He keeps pouring out His love for us. That was a lovely testimony we heard earlier this morning from Holly, how God, you see, in his love gave her a desire of her heart for which she prayed and believed. The faith is important, isn't it? Because that's believing him, trusting him to give because of his love. We don't have to try to persuade God to love us. We don't have to try to persuade Him to give to us. Prayer is not trying to get God to do something He doesn't want to do. No, prayer is is believing that God's love is such He desires to give, He desires to answer us, He desires to do for us what we can never do for ourselves, and to do in us what would further the work of His kingdom within us. Now, you see, as Jesus said, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is not a place. The rule and the reign of God is a good description of the kingdom. So... Because God has put his kingdom within you, he's put his rule and his reign within you. He wants to rule and reign in your life. If you're going to live the heavenly life, that's going to be a life of love. Love for God, love for others. Now, that's not fresh knowledge for the vast majority of you, you, you know and you understand that. But you see, we can have one of two attitudes. We can think, well, I know I ought to love, I ought to love God with all my heart because he loves me with all his heart. Uh, we could say, well, I know I ought to love others as he has loved me because that's what the Word of God says. I ought to love my neighbor as I love myself because that's also the command of God. You see, we can look at love in that way and know we ought to love. But the things we ought to do, that's law, not love. So we can know what we ought to do, but... Just knowing what we ought to do is to live by law. And what Jesus was teaching the disciples was how to live by love. So when you love, you want to do something. Not you ought to do it, you want to do it. It's that love that motivates you. It's that love that causes you to do what actually you ought to do. You do it because you want to do it. So this faces us with some very simple but questions that have a far-reaching influence on our lives. Do you want to love God with all your heart? No, no, not ought you to do this. Do you want to do this? Is is that how you love him? This is how he loves you. He doesn't love you because he ought to love you because you're his child. He loves you because he loves you. Now, can you say that you love God because you love him? And Jesus taught the disciples what it meant to love him. He said, it means that I'm number one in your life, that you don't love husband, wife, mother, father, children, or anyone else above me. That in your love for me, you have placed me first. Not I ought to be first, that's law but you want me to be first. You want me to be the most important person in your life. That's what you desire above everything else. Now, you probably know yourself well enough to know that if you really want something, you go for it. And if you really want to love God like that, you're going to put your life on the line so that you do love God like that. If that's what you want, that is what you will do. Now, we need to see what that means in practice. What Jesus helps us to understand not only through what he says, but also through what he says through the Apostle John in his first letter. That if somebody says, well, I love God, but doesn't love the brother or sister that he sees, the other people that he sees around him, he's only deceiving himself and the truth is not in him. In fact, he's a liar, John says. Because if you love God who you do not see, then you will love your brother or your sister who you do see. In other words, you will love whoever God puts in front of you. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what the circumstances in their life, they might be somebody far away from God, who who actually abuses those of faith. But we are called to love even them. Why? Because Jesus says, well, you love your enemies. That if we love God, we will love whoever. And that means that we won't live in judgment and criticism of them. We will live in love. Of them. Now, humanly speaking, naturally speaking, people do not love like that. It's so easy, isn't it, to be critical, to be judgmental of others, of what they do, if they don't perform or act or react in the way we think they ought to. But you know, I've known the Lord now for 70-odd years of my 80 years, known him personally. And in all those years, he's never criticized me. He's never judged me. Oh, he's corrected me. He's done much in my life to transform me, to make me more like him, and there's a way to go yet, I know that. But he's never, ever criticized me, either to myself or to anybody else. He's never judged me, never condemned me. Why? Because when I first believed, he put me into Christ Jesus, and in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. There's no judgment for those who are in him. So you see, a real test of our love for other people is whether we judge them or not, whether we condemn them or not. Oh, I've had a lot of Christians who have judged me over the years, I can tell you. And for the most part, it's been completely unjustified, being accused of things that, you know, I haven't been guilty of. Oh, this things in my life that that others, I'm sure, have seen and said, well, that's not right, this is not right. But still, people have had no right to judge me or condemn me or to criticize me to anybody else because Jesus says we're not to do that. Now, you see, we can say, well, I ought not to do that. But when the love of God takes hold of our hearts in the way that he intends, We will not want to judge. We will not want to condemn. We will not want to criticize. But we will pray for people when we see things are not right. We won't judge them. We will pray for them to be restored, to be brought back to what God wants in their lives. I mean, just think about your own reaction. If you know there are people that judge you and criticize you, I guarantee you do everything you can to avoid them. But when you know other people love you and accept you, warts and all, you know, even though they may know things about you, about your weakness and your failure, then you're attracted to them, you're drawn to them, you want to be one with them. There's no fear in love, is there? You don't fear what they will think. You don't fear what they will say. You don't fear what they would do in relation to you. Am I talking about the love of God in our hearts? Yes. Am I talking about the kingdom of God? Yes. Am I talking about what it means to live the heavenly life here on earth? Yes. Am I talking about the life of the Holy Spirit within us? Yes. Am I speaking of what it means to have Christ living in us, the hope of glory? Yes. You see, all those things, all those wonderful truths, are expressed in our lives in love. You know, Jesus came as the Holy Son of God. He came, the Scripture says, to create a holy people, a holy nation. And the amazing thing is that although he lived in perfect holiness, even sinners were drawn and attracted to him and were there in his audience when he preached. The prostitutes were there, the tax gatherers, the swindlers, the outcasts, or the riffraff, as the Pharisees thought of them. But they were attracted and drawn to Jesus, the Holy One. Why? Because of his love. You see, if you criticize or judge someone, even for not being a believer, you will never be effective in witnessing to them. You can only witness to those that you love, not judge. And those two things are contradictory. You either love them or you judge them. But people were attracted to Jesus because of his love. He came to create a holy people. And that's effectively what he did through his preaching and teaching. And then after he'd returned to heaven, the Spirit of Holiness came upon them. And so there began the history of what was to be the holy body of Christ here on earth, the Church. And yet, in all his teaching, as far as we know, he never spoke of holiness as a subject. He never said, now, today I'm going to talk to you about holiness. But what he did all the time was to talk about love. And it says, you see, that he preached the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of heaven. And he never, he never preached without using a parable and those parables are parables about the kingdom of God, about the kingdom of heaven. And many of those those kingdom parables are parables of growth. And Jesus likened in several parables, he likened the kingdom to be like a seed. Now, it's the season of the year when... You see many of these on the ground. This is an acorn. That's quite a big seed, isn't it? Or contained within the outer shell is the seed. And uh, I go for a walk every day and and I pass oak trees as as I do so and there are hundreds if not thousands of these on the ground from a single tree and yet it started as just one seed. Contained within this acorn, potentially, is an oak tree that could produce thousands of these every year. But of course, while that acorn is in my hand, it will produce nothing. It has to be planted. As Jesus said, the seed has to fall into the ground and die. His seed, the seed of his life, fell into the ground and died when he was crucified. And you see, from that seed has come every year, just like an oak tree, every year, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people coming into God's kingdom. If he hadn't allowed the seed of his life to fall into the ground and die, nobody, not even his first disciples, could have inherited all the fullness of the heavenly life in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was essential for Jesus to give his life. And he taught the disciples the same thing. Now, Paul says, when he's addressing everybody in the church, you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You see, your life can only be hidden with Christ in God because you've been made blameless and righteous and holy and perfect forever. How could your life be hidden with Christ in God unless that was true? That speaks not only of his great love for you, but it speaks of the fact that Jesus took you to the cross with him, you were crucified with him so that that old life might be done away and you might be given a new life and become a new creation, a child of God's love. So he says to us, well, I have made all all these things true, all those truths of the first minute are truths for you. Now I want to see these truths outworked in your life. So all you can do is let the seed of your life fall into the ground and die. Now what does that mean? Well, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It means for you and me, what it meant for Jesus, what it meant for those first disciples, that we die to living for ourselves. And because of our love for Jesus, we live for him. And because we love him and live for him, we live for others, not for ourselves, not selfish, self-centered lives, but we live for others. And you know, as you live for others, God provides everything for you. The measure you give is the measure you get back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Just think for a moment of the way God supplied the money for Holly, to have a new car. When God did that, did he deprive anybody else? No, 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 no. God has unlimited resources. When God supplies for you, he doesn't cause others to go short. And if anybody gives to you, he will give back to them good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He will multiply. Whatever he has given, or whatever those people have given to you, he will multiply back to them. This is his word. This is how he works. In other words, he shows, yes, just as I express my love for you in the way I give, so you can express your love for me in the way you give your life to me, you make your life available to me, not to live for yourself, but therefore to live for others, to lay down your life for others. There's no greater love than this, said Jesus, that a man lays down his life for his friends. He lives for others, not himself. This is what you learn, those of you who are parents, when you first had a child that first baby ended a whole lot of selfishness in your life where you could just conduct your life and make your plans according to what you wanted to do or you or your husband and wife together wanted to do. Now suddenly, here is this little child and that child has to come first. You can't do anything or make any decision without deciding how that's going to impact the life of this little one whose existence now depends upon you. If you don't care for that child in the right way, the child could die. The child could suffer in some way. So you know your responsibility, but you don't love that child because you ought to love the child. You love that child because you want to love that child. You love the child... So you want to give to that child whatever is necessary. This is love, even at the human level. At the divine level, it's even greater love because God enables us to love those that, in the natural, we wouldn't want to love or we would find it difficult to love. He gives us the grace to forgive. Again and again and again, you remember, Disciples said to him, how often should I forgive? Seven times? Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. You just keep giving and giving and giving and giving forgiveness. It doesn't matter what comes back at you. You forgive. You don't judge. You don't condemn. You don't walk away. You don't take offense. You forgive. Oh, how it must offend God Every time a person leaves a church in offense, that must grieve him so deeply because instead of taking offense, we are always to forgive. And no church is perfect because it's full of people who have been perfected but who are not yet perfect in their soul life, just like you. So sometimes we're going to get it wrong. Sometimes we're going to hurt others even though we don't intend to. Sometimes we're going to make mistakes. Sometimes we're genuinely going to be mistaken. This is why it's very dangerous if you speak against anyone else because you may not know all the circumstances that are going on in their life. You're judging in ignorance, in other words. And we all make mistakes out of our ignorance because we don't all have perfect knowledge. So I'm not telling you anything that you don't really know. But you've heard me say many times, it's not what you know in the Christian life that matters. It's what you do with what you know. So... Where do we go from here? Well, pastor, I ought to do what you've been yes. saying. No, no, no. That doesn't work, does it? That's not love. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be transformed more into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. I want to be to love others. I want to lay down my life for my friends. I want to make my life available to God so that I can love whoever he gives me to love. I want his love to be expressed in my life. So what are you going to say to God? Lord, I want that love. Well, He's already given you the Holy Spirit and the Word of God says that when He gave you the Spirit, He poured His love into your heart. So, are there some unloving attitudes, some things in your life that are a contradiction to love that need to go? You need to say, Lord, forgive me because those things mar that image, that reflection of Jesus in your life. Perhaps you want to say, Lord, I need a fresh anointing, infilling, release of your love in my life you'll find that those two things go together, that when we say to God, oh, take out of my life, Lord, take out of my heart things that are a contradiction to your love, forgive me, just show me, just show me by your Spirit, convict me, Lord, of things that are a contradiction to love that I may not even see for myself because I want them out of my life, because I want your love to be reflected more and more fully. I want to please you. I don't want to grieve you. I want to honour you. I want to praise you, not just with my lips in a praise song. I want to praise you with my life. I want my body to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, which is my spiritual worship. And you see, when that's really what we want, that's what God is going to do. Beloved, it's been my great, wonderful privilege over the years to experience revival, to know revival, genuine revival in certain times. From when I was an Anglican vicar in Luton in the 1970s and subsequently Kingdom Faith, we've had seasons of revival. In past years. But the essence of revival is love. That what happens in a time of revival is God's people love God. They love, they love Him just wholeheartedly. That's the only way I can put it. It's as, if, it's as if the love of God just takes hold of their lives and, and, and it's, it's almost as if they're consumed in love. And they will just love anybody. It's as if they love anything that moves, you know. That love just embraces anybody who comes anywhere near them. That love just pours out of them. And I believe with all my heart that what God is doing at this time is he's preparing us for another season of revival where that quality of love will be expressed in all of us so that there will be that unity Jesus prayed didn't he father may they be one <clears throat> so that the world will know that you've sent me and that you've loved them even as you've loved me the world will know and 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 in times of revival like that, you see thousands. We've seen thousands of people come to the Lord. I've had the privilege of seeing that, hundreds at single meetings. Why? Because of the love of God, that somehow that love that is in the hearts of those that are living in revival just gets communicated to, ever, to anybody who has anything to do with them. And, you know, we can't create that love ourselves. It has to be the work of God's Spirit within us. And it's not a denial of where we are now. Praise God for all the love that is in our hearts now. Praise Him for all the ways in which that love is expressed. I'm always thankful for the way I hear, of the way people are giving to one another, the way they are facing sacrifice sometimes in order to love other people, that love is already there. But I believe that what God is saying is He desires that love to increase, for for that love to be seen more and more fully in every one of us, and I include myself very much in that. I know God has done a lot in my life in these last months of of lockdown whereby that love is being renewed and refreshed, revived, if you like, in my heart and life. And I'm deeply thankful for that. Oh, I see that there are still other ways that uh, that love needs to be expressed. And when I fail to do that, you know, it, ah, it hurts because I no longer want to do anything that offends the love of God. So, beloved, I'm not talking about what we ought to do, but what we want to do. And I believe that what God is creating here is a body of believers who really want the will of God who are not only thankful for all the truths of that first minute, but they want all those truths to be expressed in their lives. Just look at this scripture from 1 Corinthians 4. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Oh, yes, come on, let's talk about the power, the power of healing, the power of deliverance. Listen, my friend, the power of God is always expressed in love. And where that love is, you will see the power of God. I could talk to you for a long time, several hours, about what I have seen God do through the power of love. That where there is that 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 divine love, there are miracles abounding, transformed lives, people being delivered from extreme bondage. There isn't anything more powerful than the love of God because God is love. The almighty, all-powerful God is love. And this is the wisdom of Jesus, that holiness is expressed in love. Without love, there's no holiness. So when God says, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy, That can only be done in love. When he says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, that can only be reflected in any extent in our lives through his love. So, my dear friends, love for God, love for others, is the key to everything. Now I'm willing to lay down my life, to die to self in order to love. I trust you are also. And I believe that what God wants to do, even now, is to give a fresh outpouring of His love into our hearts. That what is already in us as a seed, and in many of our lives, is beginning to grow and to produce fruit, will become even more fruitful because the Father in heaven prunes those that are fruitful that they may be more fruitful still. So thank God for every way in which you already love him and express that love for him in your prayer, in your worship, in your praise, in the things you say and the things you do. Thank God for every way in which, by his mercy and grace, you are able to extend his love to others and show his love for others. Be thankful that that is already the working of God's Spirit within you. But I invite you to join with me in saying, but Lord, I want a greater love for you. And I don't want anything in my life that grieves and offends your love. And I want more of that love to flow out of my life and into the lives of others that they too may come to know that wonderful love. Will you join with me in prayer now? Just close your eyes wherever you are. See, He's there, isn't He? He's there in the room with you now. Jesus is there in His love. I believe that many of you can sense His love. Oh, His love isn't an emotion, it's not a feeling. It's not like human love. But sometimes you can sense In your spirit, you can sense His presence and His love with you. And He's not criticizing you. He's not condemning you. He's not judging you for any lack of love. He hasn't spoken to you this morning because he wants to scold you. He's spoken to you in his love. So why don't you thank him? Lord, thank you for all the ways you've loved me. You've forgiven me. You've accepted me and made me righteous. You've sanctified me, made me holy like you are holy. even made me perfect in your sight. And I have died, crucified with Christ. I've died to that old life without you. And I thank you that my life is now hidden with Christ in God. And Lord, I want my life to reflect that great truth that I live in you and you live in me. Forgive me, Lord, for any failure to love you. Forgive me when I just sink to a level of doing what I ought to do and have a legalistic attitude towards you instead of one of love, of really wanting to pray and wanting to praise you and wanting to worship you and wanting to live for your glory, wanting to love others in the way that you've loved me, wanting to lay down my life for others. Thank you, you don't judge, condemn me, criticize me. But thank you, Lord, that you forgive me. And thank you, Lord, that as you take out of my life anything that is a contradiction to your love, thank you that you release afresh your spirit of love in my heart and in my life. Lord, I want to love not with my weak human love, I want to love you with the divine love, the holy love, the eternal love that you've placed into my heart by the Holy Spirit. Lord, the way you love me is just so immense that I can thank you for all that you've gifted me with. And, and you say, I'm to love others as you have loved me. I can only do that through your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, be released afresh. Let your love be re- released afresh in my life this morning. That the love of Jesus in me may flow through me and touch the lives of others with that love and so with your power. The power to transform, the power to change things. That even when I pray for them, it won't be a duty to pray for who I ought to pray, but an act of love praying for those that I want to pray for because I love them with the love that you have put into my heart. And just before we finish there there may be a few people listening who've never known that divine love of Jesus. You may have tried to love other people with your natural human love and felt such a failure so often. And as you listen to this message, you say, I need that love. I need that love of of, of which this man has been speaking. I need that love in my heart and life. Well, if that's true for you, Say that to Jesus now. Say, Lord, I want your love in my heart and in my life. I want your spirit of love to fill my heart so that I love you and I love others with that same love with which you've loved me. Even though I may not have known you, and walked with you in the past. I give you my life today. And I say, Lord, I'm ready to lay down my life for you. And instead of living a selfish life, to live for you and to live for others. So pour your love into my heart now, I pray. And my friend, I I know that God is doing that right now, wherever you are. So just begin to thank him. Don't look for some sensation, just begin to thank him. I believe you sense, you know something is happening within you, something is changing within you, even now, as that love takes hold of your heart, perhaps for the first time, or perhaps in a fresh way. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And I bless you, Lord, that you are always faithful in the way you love me. And may I be faithful in the way that I love you. That I love others. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.